following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters. Two microphones. And one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. ETSU Chattanooga, the rail. Rivalry. The rail. Renewed. RQ. Let's go. Uh, I'm going gonna, gonna to do it for the broadcast. I'm not going to do it for the podcast. For the broad, not the pod. But Matt Wilgham loves the Jay Sandoz top ten hate list. Sports hate, you know. So sports it's not hate. Oh, yeah, hate. sure. Yeah, yeah, sports yeah, hate. Yeah. And I don't want to ruin it for you, but uh, Satan is too ignorant, I guess, is number one. Uh, probably Chattanooga. There you go. All right. So I'm, we've buried the league, but I've done it five years in a row. So if you don't know what the uh, the two and one are. If you don't know, now you know. Sometimes the others change a little bit. Sometimes, you know, like uh, like right now, the St. Louis Cardinals are usually high on the list. They're not anymore. They stunk, so they're, they're down the list here. Right? Oh, they're, 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 yeah. You know, Fer- Furman fluctuates a little bit. You know, they're purple. I mean, that was the purple they looked at Madison. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What's, oh, the Dolphins always, you know, always up there. I'm trying to think of the pro sports teams that were purple. The Rockies. Uh, the Lakers. The Lakers, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, the Celtics guy, too. Right? The Vikings. Yeah, I'm, I'm indifferent, but yes, I don't like them because they're purple, but I'm really not a big all right, so we'll do that on the broadcast. That'll be uh, one of those things when we kill time during extra, it'll be timeout or something. We'll do other stuff. So <laughs> not going to do that on this. Uh, I do want to uh, mention we're going to have Todd Agney on, uh, longtime color analyst for football on the radio side, does a ton of stuff on the TV yes. side for them. Always knowledgeable, follows things pretty closely, uh, very honest uh, normally uh, when he gives you stuff. Like a lot of things. Uh, yeah, and he's yeah, a talker, yeah, yeah, so we'll, yeah. we'll see. We'll see how many questions we get. I'm going to say five. Can we get five questions in in 15 Ooh, minutes? Uh, we, might, we might get six or seven, I think. Uh, I think we're going to be bold. We're going to be bold. Let's, I, let's, let's, I do yeah. love Todd. All right, we'll get to bold, Todd. Is that a bold prediction? Todd, Todd. Oh, stop. I didn't think that far. Um, you just hit the bumper for old time's sake. Not right now. No? Okay. Because here's what I want to talk about. You want to talk about the rail? I do. I, and it's one of those situations where I've talked about it. Uh, a lot of folks with Rusty Wright got it. Tom Arth could have cared less. He, he kind of poo-pooed the idea, and then he got beat in 2018. He won the round for 2019. Somehow he got the Akron job. Nobody knows how. Um, and then, you know, Rusty Wright came in, said it was a big deal, went to a big punch in the face, and then they had like a 1,000 personal foul penalties. And since then, he's tried to downplay it in front of everybody. I believe it means a lot to him. Um, him and Coach Sometimes that's because it is your rival and you don't want to do whatever. Sure. Sometimes it's, you know, other things. And I think this one involves other things. I'm not asked either one, but there's just – you can tell when we used to interview Coach Wright when I asked questions, when you talk to George Wolf about that, there's just something there. So I think those guys really want to beat each other. And I don't – you know, and some of it I'm sure is just they're the next opponents, he just used to chat. The biggest thing, I went back and watched probably three chat games and not – intently as start to finish, but specific parts of games. And a couple times I'll watch specifically to see when they struggle and, uh, on offense and when they struggle on defense. And then I picked a few spurts where they were just boom, 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 down the field scoring or lights out, which was very easy to find against Mercer. And the similarities between the two teams is pretty, pretty common. The one thing Chet, I think, has a distinct advantage at is at the quarterback position because they are they very much have consistency. They got some stuff there. They've got some questions on the O line. They've lost a lot of key pieces. They have some breakdowns and don't particularly do whatever. Now Chase Artovis is able to get out of the pocket. Run game has not been as dominant as it has been. It has moments of being dominant, but not there. But the protection game is down. The biggest difference on offense is. They have three really good receivers, and they have very good tight ends, and they're able to use all of that. But the woes 
reason when they struggle are very similar to when ETSU struggles on offense. Yes, and, and part of that, I think, is Chattanooga has completely revamped its offensive scheme. And you've talked about this a lot. They used to do the Shanahan, you know, outside zone stuff. Uh, that's not really what they do anymore. It's a lot more RPOs. And that, I think, has in some ways possibly blunted the run game a little bit. Um, now, the, the run blocking is obviously a little bit you know, different in, in an RPO scheme because you're trying to sell both the run and the pass. So you can't go too far down the field and try to fire off on a linebacker, say, if you're the guard, because if the quarterback's going to pull it back and throw, then suddenly you're ineligible down the field. And that, that's a no-no. That's a good way to not play. So um, that has probably impacted their run game a little bit. But as much as that has impacted their run game, it has unlocked the potential of their pass game. This is one of the most efficient passing teams in the country. And Artopius is able to dial it in with several different receivers. He'll put your linebackers and safeties in conflict. He will make them make snap decisions. And if you don't trust your guys to make those decisions wisely and consistently, you will get burned. And the other thing they do is they they bait you in to the box, right? They want you to bring the safeties down. They don't want you to play the high safeties. They don't want you to play guys deep in coverage. They want you coming farther and farther down in the box to try to negate maybe like the quick out to the slot or like a quick curl route that can go for five yards. And then suddenly your guy is now one-on-one with the safety that's got to make a tackle, and if the safety doesn't make the tackle, it's a 30-yard gain. And the same thing can happen where it's one-on-one with your corner. Okay, here's a quick quick out route to uh, Jamin Watley. And he's one-on-one with your second-best corner. And your corner misses a tackle. Or he tries to arm tackle. And Watley breaks through it, and off he goes. Nobody to hawk him. Nobody over the top to help the corner out. And it's a touchdown. They can do that. And then as they do that, They'll also still take some shots down the field. So this passing attack is very versatile. It's very dynamic. It's very explosive when it needs to be, but it's perfectly content to take its five, six-yard chunks. And what you have to do is be really sound tackling on those quick hitters, and you have to pick your spots to come after the quarterback and be aggressive when you do it and make sure you get him on the ground Because if you can get a team behind schedule that's trying to hit those five-yard chunks and you're tackling well, you can keep them behind schedule, and that's when you have the best chances to get off the field. The one thing about Artokis, and he's really good, there are at least two tosses of three tosses a game where he does make a predetermined and try to force some things, and he got away with them early in the year. As the year's gotten along, they have been more interceptions. Be curious to see if he gives the Bucks an opportunity to pick off a pass. Because ETSU, especially with the safety, shall don't want to be specific, but especially if he, he tries to throw one in there with, you know, into double coverage and stuff, if ETSU can make a pay with interception, that will be huge. Again, doesn't do it a lot, but there's I can almost point to every single game. I can look at a couple of throws where he's either made up his mind where he's going to throw, and it, it's not the right. So Wofford had, you know, back-to-back picks on where, again, he threw, you know, into double coverage or, or he tried to thread the needle, you know, between the cover two on the linebacker and the safety, floated one. So there's a couple of throws that he might get a little greedy on. Now, I think he's also very good at if you do uh, – let, let's just say they were going to do the RPO to the left and ETSU's really overstacking it and there's a wide receiver to the right. And in that scenario, they just do a quick out just in case. He's very good at checking out of the RPO to the left and just throwing that quick hit to the right and just saying, make a tackle. Well, we saw that right with Ty James. Yes. And ETSU was not very good at tackling that. So do, do you not think that at some point Chase Artopis is just going to test the corners and say, hey, if I throw it out here, you're going to be able to make a tackle? A- absolutely, he will. And I, I think this is, like you talked about, though, he will misjudge some throws. He will just miss a target. And he'll put it in the hands of a defensive back or a linebacker. And Mike Jenkins, Jr., nearly had one against Wofford, and I would be very 
interested to see how much the the hunger is there for the true freshman when he gets an opportunity to get his hands on another football because if he had gotten that one I think it's a turning point a complete turning point in what has been a really rough opening season for Jenkins Arnold you know if the ball comes his way he can make a play is it the play that you would ideally like him to make where he runs it back for a touchdown every single time no but he's going to make a play on the ball Chris Hope can make a play on the ball Uh, what do the corners have after they had a chance to build some confidence against a Wofford team that was not nearly as fast not nearly as explosive and had a true freshman quarterback instead of a fifth-year grad student. That—that That is, how do they carry forward what they did last week and get better against the team that is radically better than the one they played a week ago? So you are pulling out both predictions and saying Mike Davis Jr. are interceptions. Is that what I just heard? No. But you're hoping that he doesn't. No, I, just, just uh, keep an eye on him. Keep an eye on how he does. Now, if he gets a chance... And he picks one off. You're going to take the ball. Uh, I, no, I just think that is a major <laughs> That'd be turning a, it would, point. It would, because we, you saw him go from Jackson State, where he had a pretty good game, tackle flying all over the field, to Austin P, which was a disaster and a half. Yes, to where it was head down, a young man had a, had a, had a bad day, and you could see body language he had a bad day, right? And so... Then he was slowly working back into something and having success one week at Wofford. And if he can continue to build off that, what? because, again, he's getting a valuable rest. If he, Mike Jenkins, at 6285, he stays for, you know, stays and continues to grow. How good is he really going to be? Because he has signs that you can see. And I think all these corners need, because there's talent there. No, no one argues the talent. No, no Khalil doubt. Anderson is a phenomenal uh, Mike Jenkins Jr. is talent. Javon Henderson like is Jay. talent. Uh, I know you like Jay. Jay is my favorite word. McNeil also before he got hurt showed. Yes, McNeil looked good. Uh, all these guys need is something to hang their hats on, some reason to believe that it's going to come to them. And once they've got it, they're going to do something with it. I just have that belief that this this young group is just young. They're not untalented. They're just young, and they're trying to learn how to survive at this level. And once they've learned that, and they're able to not just survive but make plays, that's when ETSU's defense goes from good with a glaring weakness to good luck scoring points. That's the, that is where ETSU's defensive fortunes turn. It's not on, well, Steven Scott's got to step up and make 15 more sacks. It's not Jalen George has to massacre double teams. Like, it's not based – not, that's not where this is. Those guys are doing their jobs. Those guys are doing their jobs well. The cornerbacks have been a roller coaster for ETSU this year. And if those guys get a reason to believe that they are as good as everybody around them believes they are – and they play like it, then this team's entire fortunes change. Especially the defense, but the entire fortunes of this team change. On the flipping of the defense, the D line is still not not as dominant. This is going to be a little tricky way you're wearing this. Not as dominant years past, but don't let that confuse you. They lead the league in sacks. They lead the league in tackles for losses. It's one of those where. Last week they did hold Mercer to no yards rushing, but yes. if you look at last year's yards per game rushing and stuff, and this year's, the numbers aren't the same. Right. But they still lead the league in two very big categories, tackle for loss and sacks. And when you look at, again, I looked at when they were successful, when they maybe have not been, it's been on the back end they've given up plays, but you know what can stop things from happening on the back end? It's making sure the quarterback is on the ground before he gets the ball out. And what do you think the biggest challenge is going to be for the CTSU offensive line, running backs, tight ends, and whoever else is going to Keeping be? William Riddle upright. And, and, and to me, it's, it's as simple as that. When Riddle's given time, teams have been able to find enough plays down the field to make plays. And if he's upright, and he showed last week, he can take a shot, and when, where the touchdown has his helmet got knocked off, and Coach Burleson in for targeting, couldn't believe it wasn't, he got up. There was other throws, but he 
stood in there, took shots, willing to make a play down the field. Against Chattanooga, that's a given. You know you're going to have to try to hold the ball and let things develop. You know you're going to get in. He continued to do that. They keep him upright enough, which plays we made down the field. If you don't give him enough time, you can't keep him upright. It's tough. It's going to be very difficult for ETSU now. We expect Xavier Geyer next to be back. That's going to give him another weapon and a guy that he played high school football with. He was on the scout team with last year for four or five years. He's thrown enough passes. He already kind of knows, hey, look where number nine's at, which is easy. Trying to find Will Huzzy, who, by the way, is five catches from Ty P.J. Adigan, six from being the all-time leading receiver in ETSU history. Uh, there are some things there that I think ETSU can make plays, will be able to make plays, can score. Some of it's going to be, can they get enough run game so that they, you know, they can't just load the or not even that, not even the boxing. You know, are they just control the game with four and rush with four and everybody else just sits back and plays regular defense? Because at Mercer, that's what they did. The front four controlled the line, and they didn't need the blitz, they didn't need whatever. They didn't need the blitz on passing. They didn't need to run blitz. They just dominated. So ETSU can get some run plays, keep them upright, throw the ball. It's, it's down to the line of scrimmage. If ETSU can hold its own on the line of scrimmage, especially on the offensive side with defenders coming in. You can have some success. And then special teams, uh, Chattanooga's good. I don't know. I don't think they're great now. They convert field goals. They tried nothing. I will say Chattanooga has not allowed a block kick of any kind all season. So you got that going for you. Good. Challenge accepted. Teddy Wilson, Trey Foster. <laughs> good. Uh, special teams coverages. Return game's okay. Some of the ETSU, you know, not a big return, but they're not giving up a lot in that. Uh, you know, penalty-wise, ETSU is more penalized. Chattanooga's some of that hidden yardage can come into play one way or another. But to me, the, the question is, you know, what does ETSU do? How do the corners kind of – how do they perform? That's probably the biggest question on one side. The other side is, it can the line hold? Yeah, and offensively, it's going to be down to – and I asked George Bulls about this in the press conference, partly for that reason. It's going to come down to the secondary blocking efforts. It's going to come down to can Zach Borish, Trey Foster – Bryson Irby, stand up an outside linebacker. Can um, Jalen Frierson, Jawan Martin help out on a double team or just like chip a defensive lineman to try to get the quarterback a little bit more time because you know as good as this secondary is, they are leaky. And all you have to do is keep the quarterback upright. I want ETSU, and I expect ETSU, understanding that, to run a few more heavy personnel packages and put their receivers in one-on-one situations where they know they can win because Huzzy can win one-on-one against anybody in this league if you give him enough time. And Gaiardetz, I think, is good enough that he can get open, and Winton is clearly good enough to get open. We saw that last week against Wofford where he busted a coverage down the field and just nobody was there, but Riddle had to stand. He He got a block, right? A guy pushed a rusher back behind him. He stepped through that gap, stayed behind the line of scrimmage, had a place to plant his feet, and then saw Winton on the busted coverage way down the field. And he was wide. There was nobody within five yards of him when he he caught that football. And then, then after that, Riddle took the hit. Um, But if you can just buy him enough time, knowing that he's going to get punished, he's not afraid of contact, he's not afraid to take hits, that's good because it's going to happen this week. All you need is that extra second, that extra two seconds to give him a chance to get the ball out, and you can move the football in this Chattanooga game. All right, so that's ETSU's side of it. Uh, you going to bring in our uh, bring in Todd? Todd! He is, and we are excited to get the Agni angle on the rail. Todd, welcome to the show. Um, just describe, I mean, obviously, you know, the players, it's a little bit of a different environment nowadays because you got so many guys that are in for one year, they're in for a limited amount of time, don't necessarily get the chance to get steeped in this, but 
how fired up are people in the scenic city for, for ETSU and Chattanooga to square off? situation where the penalty yardage was really skewed one way and obviously I think he called a timeout in that 2019 Thursday night game and pointed to the scoreboard and said like guys this is like a three point game and you're killing us on these penalties we've got to calm it down so I can't tell which way he's going with it but certainly you've answered my question because I think the players on both sides right now are giving the stock answer well yeah it is but it's the next game it's the next one on schedule the blah 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 that me and you don't want to hear Todd we want to hear my goodness I don't like them they don't like me let's go play a game yeah nothing nothing makes me smile quicker than a chip on somebody's shoulder or an early push and a shove or something thrown from the stands whatever it takes to get the juices going but the two of you know this well today's athlete is built differently emotionally and coaches are trying to manage that emotion I just feel like there are more and more coaches these days that are trying to keep their players focused, and they don't want them to get up too early. Uh, they don't want to burn that energy that they have. And, of course, Coach Wright, playing here in Chattanooga, um, has had his moments against East Tennessee State, and uh, he will slowly let the line out. But there is something to be said about playing East Tennessee State that makes it a special game for him, and the players are aware of it. Okay, let's turn a little bit more X's and O's, and I want to start with a limb forward because we, we talked about it on Tuesday. We talked about it before we had you on. You look at his numbers, and they're still good numbers. Don't get me wrong. They're not a limb forward type numbers, and so I talked to our coaching staff, and they, they think a lot of it is because with Chase Artopius and kind of the level of the pass game and his understanding of some RPOs and doing some things that they can't do, sort of that old-school Mike Shanahan outside zone read and give the cutback lanes, and that's really where a limb was good at because you get somebody moving one way, he cuts back, he's so big and strong, you can't just arm tackle. But because of the different system, it's just a different run scheme, and not that he's not thriving in it, but he's just not maybe to the level we're used to seeing. Now that's outside looking in. You've got a better look. What's your take on a limb? His role has certainly changed this year with the emergence of Chase Artopius, and that was a question mark at the start of the season. The Hawks went into the season knowing they had a solid running game. They would be okay up front offensively, and they had a good defensive unit. The big question mark was going to be, can a quarterback who hasn't taken a snap at quarterback ever in college football produce? And as Chase Artopius has proven that he is capable of doing it with a core of wide receivers that are capable of catching his passes, they have they have shifted their focus and their call sheet. And a limb to some degree is not having, well, it's black and white. His numbers are different this year. Uh, a limb has carried the football a lot. He has been hit a lot. And one of the things I'm sure that Chattanooga tries to do is they try to protect him. Um, from, a, from absorbing too much contact on the field and also being asked to carry the program. He doesn't have to do that anymore, and so he's, he's got a different role this year, and it has affected his numbers. And to the other side of that, Todd, uh, how much has the, the offensive scheme changed with the, the advent of Artopius uh, helped unlock some of the guys that, in the receivers, particularly Javen Watney, uh, Watley, who we knew – Last year was going to be pretty good, right? So-called all-freshman, um, had some pretty good production, but just seems to be on another level this year. And, and this, reti- this entire receiving core 
Watley, Jamoy Mays, on and on. It just seems to have found an extra level, not just of production, but uh, just a, an extra level of explosiveness with Artopius at the quarterback spot. Ken, again, this is uh, Artopius was going to be the question mark coming into the season, and fortunately for Chattanooga, he roomed when he first got here with Sam Phillips, and their early production together was the bulk of the wide receiving uh, effort, the two of them connecting, and they had developed that relationship while rooming together. It has since expanded to a Watley and Mays, and they, Chattanooga intentionally held the offense back a little bit early in the season. They weren't sure what to expect from Artopius. They weren't sure how much of the offense he really understood. And it became apparent to them very quickly that he had already surpassed many of the players with regards to his understanding of the playbook and how he could manipulate it and how he could handle it and what he could do in a game with it. And so then the offense was in the unusual position of trying to play catch up to his understanding of the offense and football as, as a game, as a whole. And they have hit their stride to where they all seem to be on the same page. And I know it's a cliche, but that's what's taken seven weeks to sort of uh, manifest itself is that, look, Artopius now has a relationship with three different wide receivers that can do three different things. Jamoy Mays is... Uh, He's the bigger of the wide receivers, although he's not even six foot, but he's got a stronger body. He's capable of going across the middle. Uh, Watley gives you that explosive play, and then Sam Phillips gives you that possession-type receiver. So if they're all three on the field, you've got to look for those three types of routes. And the one thing that uh, Artopius is capable of doing is he's capable of being patient. Look, he'll tell you. Only one person on this team has beaten the UCLA uh, transfer in chess, and that is the uh, the transfer linebacker from Harvard. Um, so, uh, yeah, he's, he's proud of that, and he's proud of the fact that, hey, I, I can dissect this game in a very intellectual way and get our team in a scoring position. To that end, Todd, defensively, it, it does feel like this, there's a lot of weapons up front uh, with Bruton in person and, and, and that whole group. But uh, I look at the pass efficiency numbers. They're 80th in the country in team pass, uh, pass defense efficiency. That's not where we're used to seeing Chattanooga. Is it just like the difference in when we have a lot of talent, but we don't necessarily have the guy that makes the play, like the big game-changing play? What What is the issue on the back end for Chattanooga? Because it does feel like there are chunks, yard, chunks of yards available against this secondary. You know, sometimes in this game we think about explosive plays as being something that is the property of a, of a quarterback or a running back or a group of wide receivers. And we have a tendency to overlook that it's also a requirement on defense. Um, our, our coaching staff would tell you that there's a difference from being in the right spot and then making the play. And that's the next level that this Chattanooga defensive backfield has to get to. They have to make the big play. They are fast enough, and they're smart enough to get to the right spot. You've got to win those combat battles with wide receivers, and you have to make sure that you're communicating in the right spot. They have gotten better. They struggled against North Alabama on paper and on the field. They didn't fare well against Western Carolina. But it as, as you pointed out, it just takes one lapse, right? We know what the play call is. We know how to execute it. Now can we carry out and finish it? And that's where Chattanooga seems to be lacking is on the finishing end of that. You know, a play is, a play is five seconds, and you've got to finish that last second. Let's talk a little bit about um, the fact that person and Bruton, right? Last year was Devonshire Maxwell. He got all the attention. It seemed like that freed up everybody else to make a play, especially person you know, being the defense player of the year, is it a situation now because everyone was just on Maxwell and you kind of know you had to take him out? What has been the situation? Are they just trying to focus in on person or is it Bruton or is it one of those situations where they know they can't do both and you got to figure out which one you're going to try to stop? You can't do both. And so the one thing that you can do is you can know that Jay Pearson is the guy that's more than likely to hurt you the most. I've seen teams add an extra man on Jay Pearson's side. I'll see a lot of wide receiver to his side with the idea of being an extra blocker 
Chattanooga, it's no secret, has been looking to make a return to the FCS playoffs. And they didn't get off to the greatest of starts this season. The loss down in Florence to North Alabama, uh, that loss has not aged particularly well either. Uh, since then, they've rattled off a 5 of 6, uh, all FCS opponents. The only other loss is a really good Western Carolina team that may be a top-four seed at the end of it all. These next three weeks are going to decide whether they get in or not because their last two are the bye week and then they're in Tuscaloosa. So uh, they, this is this is go time for the mocks. Do you sense when you're around the team, when you talk to people involved with the team, do you sense the urgency of, hey, we're going to throw a lot at ETSU this week, because not just because it's a rival, because we want to beat them, because it's ingrained into our guys that we need to beat them, but also that this is a game that we have to make a statement if we want to get the attention of the playoff committee.
like full slate of games we have for the pick six. All right, let's get it started. 50-yard line, Eastern Kentucky at Gardner-Webb. EKU trying to win a game that will avoid damaging their playoff resume, really, because Gardner-Webb hadn't had much this year. Uh, on the road in Boiling Springs, Massey says EKU 62%. Final score, 34-28. Struggled for a bit. Did they turn the corner? I'm going to say no. I'm going to take EKU. Gardner-Webb just got roadhoused uh, at Austin P. Um, EKU, this is the thing for me. What can Eastern Kentucky do well? They move the football. They're 15th in the country in total offense. Um, what is it that EKU struggles with? Stopping the other team. They are 122nd in the country in total defense. 122nd, Sandos, out of 122 teams. Is that not good? That's not good. Okay. So this is this is that's part of why their games have been so close. Do I think EKU is the better team? Yes. Do I think EKU is the more explosive team? Yes. Do I think EKU is above? Laying an egg on the road in a it's – a, it's not going to be a big crowd. It's going to be a weird environment. It's at night. No. I want to pick no. the Colonels real bad. But, man, this You're just – You're running. This, You're running. Has, this has trouble written all He's over. He's running. I'm going to take the running Bulldogs. He's running. He's a running. You got a runner. Okay. Yeah. Dissension already. Game one, I like. Yeah, uh, 40-yard line, Weber State at Eastern Washington. Wow. Massey favors Weber, 55%. Final score, 30-27. Yeah, I gotta, there's two games I have a feeling you've got on this that I, I don't want to say I'm clueless because I know about everybody in the game, but I'm, this is a tough one for me because Eastern Washington, I just, I want to think they're going to be Eastern Washington. But they haven't shown me that they're Eastern Washington. And then for Weber, I mean, I think, you know, they get kind of rocking and rolling, and they'll drop one here. So, uh, all right. Now, I don't, I, you know what I've been doing? Overthinking. And when I hear it, because our research is none, uh, when I hear it and then I try to start clicking buttons to figure stuff out, then I've made wrong calls. My initial gut says Weber State. I'm going to say Weber State. Take Weaver. 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 You're going to Weaverville. I am. Even though the game's in Cheney. Well, that's um, true. That's true. They will be on the road, but I just said I'm going Weaver. Eastern Washington is a good offensive team. Weaver State is a mediocre defensive team. Eastern Washington is a mediocre defensive team. And Weaver State is a terrible offensive team. Ooh, there we go. I'm taking the Eagles. They made some coaching mistakes. Aaron Best takes ownership of that stuff last week against Idaho State. I think Eastern puts up the points, and Weaver can't keep pace. So I'm taking the Eagles. 30-yard uh, line. Possible playoff eliminator in the CAA, Rhode Island at UAlbany. Massey says Great Danes 54%. Final score 27-24. Yeah, and this is one that I was not – actually, I didn't even – I'm not going to lie. I did not know this one was happening. Uh, it was not the one I thought you were going to go to next. But I – Initial gut was Albany. I'm going to go with Albany. I really think it comes down to the Great Danes passing game. I think they're going to be able to hit some big plays. I think they're going to take it downfield. I think they're going to put up a lot of points, and I think it will be a bit of a shootout. And I'm going to take Albany in like a 35-31, 38-35 type game. Yeah. Uh, I, I am a little surprised, honestly, to see that some of the numbers for UAlbany have been super great, um, and I, I've been trying to figure out why that's the case, because it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me that this team that has one of the best quarterbacks, I, I feel like, or one of the better quarterbacks in the country in Poffenbarger, has not been able to um, keep offense, offensive momentum going. 
uh, but I look at their numbers, passing efficiency, not great. Really good at stopping the run, but that doesn't mean much against Rhodey because they, they're allergic to running the football anyway. And you can't run the ball. Passing offense is just okay. Defense has made some big plays for you and gotten some stops. I don't know. This, this feels like the kind of game that Rhode Island just finds an inexplicable way to win. But also I look at you, Albany, and I say if they win this game, they're going to win three of their last four, and they're in the playoffs. I don't know if they'll beat William and Mary or not. They're going to win three of their last four. They're going to be seven and four with two FBS losses. So seven and two against the FCS. They're going to get in. So I'm taking the Great Danes. Okay. Thought we were going to disagree there, didn't you? Hit me with that. Okay. All right. We'll see if we're right. We, we sure will. Twenty yard line, Utah at Southern Cal. <laughs> we, well, we sure will, Jay. Utah well, at USC. Massey says the Utes, 54%. Final score, 31-28. No, I, I think old boy's going to bounce back. I think, uh, you know, the embarrassing uh, Notre Dame performance, and everyone's told him he was hearing how great he was. He's generational talent, and now he's booty cakes, and I feel like those guys bounce back. I'm going uh, USC Trojans. That whole team is Charmin-esque. Give me Utah. Ten-yard line, Montana State at Sacramento State on ESPN2. So this is the one I knew you were going to give me. Jeez. Ah, Massey says Bobcats, 59%, final score 31-28. Uh, every time I think I've had a Montana game, I think I've been wrong. I think I've had the Bobcats over the Bobcats. That's it. Uh, so I kind of want to pick them just for the simple reason that if, if uh, I lose, they lose type deal. And just, you know, they're going to live in misery with me, but that's probably not the best way to go about it. Sacramento State to me is still intriguing. Um, obviously, they got the, the the big win earlier this year, which looks even better, right? Then they beat when did Stanford they beat? They just beat yes. Colorado, correct? So that's a huge feather in the cap for them. A lot of momentum. Um, man, every time I just think Montana doesn't have it, they've proven me wrong. I guess eventually, while well, averages, I'm going to be right. So I'm going to take. You can tell I was really sold on my conviction there with the, almost a question. Hornets. Oh, Hornets. Going Hornets. Yeah. Feel better about it. Yeah. I, uh, I'm just scrolling through here I looking at all of the things that um, Montana State is ranked in the top ten in. Um, and it's, it's pretty it, – there's some robust ones, right? So, like, they are number two in the country in passing yards per completion. So, when they hit, they hit big. Uh, they are uh, number one in the country in rushing offense. They are number one in the country in scoring offense and number 10 in the country in scoring defense. They are just outside the top 10 in team passing efficiency. They are eighth in pass efficiency defense, third in sacks, second in total offense, seventh in turnover margin. They take care of the ball. They run the ball well. They don't make mistakes. So you're saying I should go Bobcats. Brent Vegan has made this team into what, as, as close to what he coached when he was the OC at NDSU as you can without wearing green and yellow. I'm taking the Cats on the road, the things they do well travel. Uh, they're fresh off, they're off their bye week, so they should be pretty fresh. Uh, this is a, actually, no, I think they came off the bye week last week against Cal Poly, but they did. They did. Uh, but Cal Poly was basically another bye week for him because Cal Poly is touchdown back, touchdown back. Uh, I think he's back. You know what? I'm going to go Bobcats. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna double back and go Bobcats? I am. Okay, that's fair. I, I'm amazed that I was that persuasive. Uh, goal line, Furman at Western Carolina. Massey says Furman, 51%. Final score, 31-30. So this is the, this is the big one here because everything tells me Western Carolina team in the Southern Conference, and I don't know that it's that close that they've been the best team. I would agree. The best defense they're going to play and the most resistance I think they're going to play is going to be this week for the Cowboys. Do I believe Western Carolina is ready to be the ETSU of 21, the Sanford of 22, and kind of come out middle of the pack beginning of the year where I thought they would be and didn't know Sanford's middle of the pack last year. And is it the third straight year that somebody 
not in the top three or four end up going undefeated in a national seeding and doing all that. And I, just because the last two years it's happened, I want to pick Western Carolina, but there's something about Furman, the line of scrimmage, what they can do defensively. Western Carolina's played a lot of games and ran, ran away and hit. Now what's going to stink for this prediction I'm going to make is if Western jumped out to a 14-0 run. Because then I do believe they're great and built to play from ahead. I haven't seen it really. I guess I say that, I guess the Eastern Kentucky went down to middle school a minute ago. So, so they have been tested one time, but the Eastern Kentucky defense, let's be honest, is not firm on defense. So Furman Paladins. Furman on the road in front of probably 13,000. Yeah, that'd be a, it's, they've, they've done well there. They, they get 10,000 when they're not good. That's true. <laughs> so you give them a, a, a good team. They have Western Carolina for all the stuff that they take from people because they generally just know nobody shows up for basketball. They generally don't have a hard time, 3.30 kick or 3 o'clock, whatever it is, getting people there. Saturday, yes. and when they're good, they have no issues. They have absolutely decked out Culloway's one streetlight with Western Carolina purple. Um, now, th- I mean, this is this is the best team that Western has had in 40 years. It might be Easy. the best team that Western's had ever. And, and again, th- and th- this is one of those where it wouldn't shock me, and it would fit the Southern Conference model the last couple of years of middle-of-the-pack team, nobody saw coming, were able to figure it for whatever reason, all out, everything came together, and This has been a great year and a magical year for West Carolina. They're going to be in the playoffs, barring some sort of catastrophic something. So, I, you know, everything points that way. I'm not going to be shocked if the Catamounts win. I'm just going to go with the defensive firm is going to give them a separate challenge. I'm not saying for And Des Reed was a little injured last night. A little banged up. So we'll see how he is. Oh, no, he only ran for 110 yards. That's right. Last day. Needed more. Yeah, as opposed to, like, the 200 and whatever that he ran for. You know, maybe he only had two touchdowns instead of five. It's fine. He's really good. Against Chattanooga, he actually did run for 211 yards. There you go. 211 yards and two TDs. He was a little banged up. Perish the thought of uh, what he is when he's healthy. Um, My instinct says Western Carolina, but also Western takes risks and makes mistakes. And Furman is a team that's built to punish you for mistakes. They want to reduce the number of possessions in the game. I think that's a bad idea, though, against this Western team. Is I don't think you want to reduce the number of possessions when you are the team that is going to have a tougher time scoring. You want to increase the number of possessions in the game so that you have more opportunities to score. And if you believe that Western's going to make mistakes, you want more opportunities for the Blackshears and the DiMaggio's of the world to short them out on the back end with fumbles, with picks, with other things that they might do. Western is one of the worst teams in turnover margin in the country. With everything they've done well, their offensive line is so good. Uh, There's so much of that team to like, but they still there's still a little bit of the old Western DNA in there where they take risks that they shouldn't, and they make mistakes. But they're fine with it because they know their offense is good for it. They're explosive. They want to play fast or, or play a, a, a game that has a lot of possessions in it. And for me, Furman is built to beat this team. Right? Furman is built to beat a team like Western Carolina. Furman is about defense. They're about getting stops. They're about um, making games close and then making fewer mistakes than you do. But Furman has made it. Furman's had a couple games. That, that, that Tennessee Tech game was a little sloppier than I think they would have liked at the beginning of the year. And it has not always been perfect for them. I'm hemming and hawing here. I'm going to take the Catamounts. I just I, I think the, the crowd, the offensive line play, the explosiveness that they can provide, it's unlike anything. Even I'm not even sure South Carolina could hit explosive plays like Western Carolina will be able to against Furman. And that's going to be the difference, is that Western can score fast and Furman can't. 
make those mistakes. They are built to work around them, and it just works out that way where Western Carolina, at the end of the day, when it's triple zeros, is going to have a win, and they're going to be undefeated. And then from there, there's nothing stopping them from winning the SOCON unblemished. It's still the team I thought it was when they played Arkansas. And I said, they might be pretty good. In fact, they're better because Cole Gonzalez was a mess in that Arkansas game. And he's been a lot better since then. Extra point. Who do you got? Rapid fire. Uh, got to uh, get two days. Thunderbirds, Southern Utah. You want Southern Utah? Southern Utah over Austin B. Uh, where did my – oh, no. I lost my I lost my chart. I lost my notes. Where is it? Dang it. Well, next week we'll recap Chattanooga. And we'll also <laughs> look ahead. You got no idea. Uh, we'll also look ahead to another big one. We'll go on the road That's to a three-game penalty. It's a three-game <laughs> one. Uh, yeah, okay, fine. Um, let's do something really ridiculous. I actually don't know if this is – it's not a big enough dog. I can't take Northern Iowa over North Dakota. But that would be my instinct. I was going to go Austin Peace in the Utah, too. How about – how about – how about Towson? The Give Tigers. me the Tigers, the Tigers over William and Mary. They're going to score way more than 13, and William Mary might be lucky to do that. Jay and Keith on the Buccaneer Sports Network.